For I've had enough of this world and its pleasures I will arise and go forth to the house of my young I will arise and go forth to the house of my father I will arise and go forth to the house of my young House of my young Shalom, and welcome to today's teaching on the Hebraic roots of Christianity, where we study first century Christianity and the faith that Jesus, whose Hebrew name is Yeshua, which means salvation, taught his disciples. And now, Hebraic roots teacher Eddie Chumney of Hebraic Heritage Ministries International. Shalom. I'm Eddie Chumney of Hebraic Heritage Ministries, and we welcome you to today's teaching on the subject the Feast of Shavuot, the marriage of Yeshua to the house of Jacob. This is part one of the series. We're currently doing a series on the biblical festivals. Presently, we are studying the Feast of Shavuot or the Feast of Pentecost. In a previous session, we explained how Yeshua gave the Torah at Mount Sinai. And we're going to build on that understanding in this week's teaching. We are going to show that not only did Yeshua give the Torah at Mount Sinai, but there was a marriage that was made at Mount Sinai between Messiah and and the house of Jacob. That covenant was broken. The house of Jacob was unfaithful and became the adulterous wife of Yeshua, who is the bridegroom that entered into marriage with his people at Mount Sinai. As a result, in order to forgive the sins of the house of Jacob, that is going to be why he ends up dying on the tree for the purpose of redeeming his adulterous bride, his adulterous wife, and in doing so, he offers salvation to all the whosoever's in the world who will receive his redemptive work, his shed blood on the tree, by receiving the Messiah into our hearts and our lives, we can have the forgiveness of our sins. The message today is going to be entitled, The Marriage of Messiah to the House of Jacob. In order to understand why there was a marriage made between the Messiah and the House of Jacob, we need to understand the purpose of creation, the reason why the God of Israel created the heavens and the earth. The ultimate reason was for the purpose of the Messiah and for Messiah to have a destiny mate who is the nation of Israel, who is his bride. In the book, Sound the Great Shofar by Rabbi Menachem Schneerson, on page 111, he writes, Our sages write, and this is from Sanhedrin 96b, that the world was created solely and exclusively for the Messiah. Not only was the world created for the Messiah, but he writes on page 13 that the rabbis teach that the Messiah and the redemption, that would be the Messianic era, the end of the exile of the house of Jacob, as the ultimate purpose for the creation of the world. For God created the world in order that he should have a dwelling 
dwelling place among mortals. And this goal will be realized in the era of redemption or the messianic era. So the purpose of creation is that Messiah would rule and reign with his people during the messianic era. In Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 and 16, given the fact that it is the traditional Jewish understanding that the world was created solely for the Messiah, it tells us in Colossians 1 verses 15 and 16 about Yeshua. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. All things were created for the Messiah. This is the exact thing that Rabbi Schneerson makes mention in his book that the creation of the heavens and the earth was exclusively for the purpose of Messiah and his role in the world. So let's look at the understanding of the purpose of creation by looking at the first word in the Bible, which is Breshit. And if you would look at the word Breshit in a Torah scroll, what you would notice is that the very first letter of the Bible and thus the first letter of the first word, Breshit, which in English is in the beginning, there is an enlarged bet. The explanation of why there's an enlarged bet is that the word bet or the letter bet in Hebrew means a house. So given the fact that the heavens and earth were created so that God would have a dwelling place among mortals and that the world was created exclusively for the Messiah, we get an understanding that the reason why there is an enlarged bet is that the God of Israel wanted to have a house in the world that would be for the purpose of the Messiah. Now if we take the first two letters of Breshit, you have the Bet and the Resh, which means Bar, and Bar means Son. So the explanation is the God of Israel wanted to have a house in the earth for his son. If we look at the first two letters of Breshit, we have the Bet and the Resh. In the last two letters of Breshit, we have the Yod and the Tav. And if we put these letters together, we have the word Brit, which means in Hebrew, covenant. So the God of Israel wanted to make a house for his son, and the way that he was going to do this was through covenant. Now, if we separate the Bet from the Resh, of the word Breshit, you have the word Reshit. And Reshit in Hebrew means the first, the beginning, the choicest, or the first fruit. In Genesis Midrash Rabbah 1.4, in looking at Reshit, in separating the bet from the rest of the word, which is Reshit, in Hebrew, when you do this, this can be rendered for the beginning, or as you would say it in English, which would make sense, for the sake of the beginning. So our understanding is the God of Israel wanted to make a house for his son by a covenant for the sake of the beginning. In the scripture, as we're going to see here in a moment, Israel is called the beginning. So the world was created not only for the Messiah, but for Israel as well, and ultimately the Torah, because the Torah is called the beginning. So Israel thus is going to become the destiny mate of the Messiah and this is going to be the purpose of the creation of the heavens and the earth. Israel, Torah, and the Messiah who are all one is
is the purpose of creation. In the book, In the Garden of Torah, which is Rebbe Schneerson's commentary on the various Torah portions throughout the year, and commenting about the word Breshit, he writes, to ensure that the lower world would be capable of being transformed into a dwelling place for the God of Israel, God embedded two distinct elements within creation from the outset. Our sages comment that creation is for the sake of the Torah, or that the Torah would be given and would be obeyed in the world. For the sake of the Torah, which is referred to as the beginning of his path, and for the sake of the people who the God of Israel would be in covenant relationship with, which is the nation of Israel, who is also referred to as the beginning. So where do we see Israel referred to as the Reshit, or the beginning? Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 3. Israel was holiness under the Lord, and the first fruits of his increase. The word first fruits is the Strong's number 7225, and it is the Hebrew word Reshit. So Israel is called the first fruits of his increase. If you look up the word increase in Hebrew, it can also be rendered crop, the first fruit of his crop. Israel is called the beginning, but the Torah is also called the beginning. Proverbs chapter 8, verses 22 and 23, it says, The Lord possessed me, and this is wisdom speaking, in the beginning, that is Reshit, the Strong's number 7225, in the beginning of his way, before his works of old, and this is referring to the creation of the heavens and the earth. It then says in Proverbs 8.23 I was set up from everlasting from the beginning or ever the earth was. Now based upon this understanding of Breshit being the, the first word in the Bible, this is what John is making a reference to when he begins writing his gospel in John 1.1 he says in the beginning, he's making a reference to Breshit. In the beginning was the word and what he's doing, he's making a connection, he's saying that Yeshua is the Reshit. In the beginning is the Word. In other words, Reshit is the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And Yeshua is called the first fruits in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 23. But every man in his own order, Messiah the first fruit, afterward they that are Messiahs at his coming. So once again, in Genesis Midrash Rabbah 1 4, the understanding of Breshit, separating the bet from the word Reshit, this can be rendered for the sake of the beginning. So to summarize what is being communicated by examining in detail the first word of the Bible, Breshit, we understand that the God of Israel wanted to build a house for his son. He was going to do this by making a covenant with the beginning or for the sake of the beginning. And all of this comes together at Mount Sinai. Who was called the beginning? Israel, Torah, and the Messiah. Since Israel, Torah, and the Messiah are all called the beginning, they are one with each other, and ultimately they are in covenant relationship with each other, and this is going to be realized at Mount Sinai. In the book In the Garden of Torah by Rebbe Schneerson on page 108, he writes that the giving of the Torah complete the purpose of creation, or it's it's a major element and aspect of creation is that the Torah be given to the nation of Israel by the Messiah. The reason why the God of Israel created the heavens and the earth. So you cannot separate the Messiah from Torah, the Messiah from Israel, Israel 
from the Messiah, the Torah from the Messiah, because they are all one. That being the case, if the enemy wanted to thwart the plan and the understanding of the God of Israel in the world, what is it that he, he needs to attack? He needs to attack this oneness, so he needs to separate the Messiah from Torah, and this is what traditional Christianity's done, and also he needs to separate Israel and Torah from the Messiah, and this is what he's done through traditional Judaism. Therefore, there is not a recognition by the people of the God of Israel who he's in covenant relationship that Israel, Torah, and the Messiah are one, recognizing who Israel is, what the Torah is, and who the Messiah is. And ultimately, redemption will happen when we see these elements that they're all one and we recognize that Yeshua is the Messiah and those who are in covenant relationship with him are a part of the nation of Israel, whether natural born or grafted in. But in Messiah, we are all a redeemed people regardless of who or where we were born. And we follow the Torah in expressing our faith in him. In the book, In the Garden of Torah by Rebbe Schneerson, on page four, he says, Israel, the Torah, and the Holy One, we understand the Holy One is the Messiah, or Yahweh, Israel, Torah, and Yahweh are all one, and that the Torah is God's will, and it is God's wisdom. Where are we told in the scripture that the Torah is the will of the God of Israel? Psalm chapter 40, verse 8, it says, I delight to do your will, O my God, your Torah is within my heart. And so if we do the will of the God of Israel in the earth, we are going to be following Torah. And if we truly follow Torah, we also know who the Messiah is as well. You're not really following Torah if you don't know who the Messiah is. You're following man's Torah and not the Torah of the God of Israel. So in Matthew chapter 6 verses 9 and 10, Yeshua tells us how we're to pray. Pray this way, Our Father which is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. What's his kingdom? That's the Messianic era. And what's got to happen during the Messianic era? Messiah's got to be teaching the Torah to all nations from Jerusalem. Isaiah chapter 2 verse 3. The Torah is the will of the God of Israel. When his kingdom comes, his will is going to be done in the earth, which is the purpose of creation, as his will is being done in heaven. Now, we need to understand that if Messiah is making a covenant and giving the Torah to the nation of of Israel or the house of Jacob, we need to understand a biblical name for the house of Jacob. They are likened unto an olive tree. In the earth today is a natural, literal house of Jacob, and these are the people who are physical descendants from those who are at Mount Sinai, but we also have in the earth today a redeemed spiritual people of the God of Israel called the redeemed house of Jacob. They are the redeemed family of the Messiah. So Messiah is in covenant relationship with a literal house of Jacob. Some of the literal house of Jacob are not yet redeemed and he's also in covenant relationship with a redeemed house of Jacob. A literal house of Jacob and a redeemed house of Jacob. How do we understand this? Because in Jeremiah chapter 11 verses 16 and 17 it says the Lord called your name a green olive tree fair and of a goodly fruit with the noise of a great tumult he has kindled fire upon it and the branches are broken. We have an olive tree whose branches are broken who is this olive tree? We're told in Jeremiah 11:17 that this olive tree is the house of Israel and the house of Judah. How do these broken branches get restored and repaired? That is what Paul explains in Romans chapter 11. And that is...
that is how and why he explains that the natural branches, when they get restored, are grafted in, and that the wild branches also get grafted in. So in Jeremiah 11, verses 16 and 17, we're told that the literal house of Jacob, it's likened to an olive tree. They consist of a literal house of Israel and the literal house of Judah. And it was at Mount Sinai that the name of the group who entered into covenant relationship with Yeshua and who Yeshua gave the Torah to and he entered into a marriage relationship with in Exodus chapter 19 verse 3 is the house of Jacob. But we also need to realize that when the God of Israel redeemed his people from Egypt, he made redemption available to all the whosoever's that would put the blood of the lamb upon their doorpost because this was just not something that the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were to do, but this was a decree in all the land of Egypt. And so every household in Egypt was required to put the blood of the lamb upon the doorhouse if they didn't want death to come upon their household. Those who did that, who lived in the land of Egypt, who were not physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Bible calls them the mixed multitude. They're spoken of in Exodus chapter 12, verses 37 and 38, when it says the children of Israel journey from Ramses to Sukkot and then it says and a mixed multitude went up also with them. At Mount Sinai the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob along with this mixed multitude together they're called the house of Jacob. So how does this mixed multitude who are not physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob how are they called the house of Jacob at Mount Sinai? That's because the Torah describes them as being strangers or sojourners they would be adopted or grafted in. So we have this principle. The Torah teaches the principle that when the God of Israel redeems his people, he makes redemption available to all the whosoever's who want to be a part of that redemption and he grafts them into the covenant that he made with the forefathers. We need to understand that in Messiah, the name of his redeemed family, which is also likened unto an olive tree, they are also called the house of of Jacob. In Luke chapter 1 verses 32 and 33 it says, He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he, the Messiah, will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Who does he rule and reign over? A redeemed family. So he's ruling and reigning over a redeemed house of Jacob. And of his kingdom there will be no end. There is a literal house of Jacob. There's a redeemed house of Jacob. This redeemed house of Jacob Jacob is likened unto an olive tree in Romans 11, and we're told there that this olive tree consists of wild branches and natural branches. This is Paul's explanation how the broken branches in the natural olive tree of Jeremiah 11 verses 16 and 17 gets restored or redeemed in Messiah. When they do, they get restored by being grafted in. The grafting process, the term for it in English, it's spelled S-C-I-O-N, Sion. You can also render that Sion, Zion. So the, the people who he's redeeming is Zion, and this is a term that describes the grafting process, which is actually spelled in English S-C-I-O-N. We need to realize that Romans 11 tells us that both the wild branches and the natural branches are grafted in. In Romans 11 verse 17, we're told how the wild branches are grafted in. If some of the branches be broken off and you being a wild olive tree were grafted
grafted in among them and with them you partake of the root and the fatness of the olive tree then in Romans 11:24 it says for if you were cut out of the olive tree which is wild by nature and you were grafted contrary to nature into a good olive tree how much more shall be the natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree I want you to notice that in Messiah both the natural branches and the wild branches are grafted in all the members of the body of Messiah are members because they have been grafted in it's just not non-Jews that get grafted in all believers in Messiah get grafted in Jews and non-Jews we need to realize that in the redeemed family of the Messiah it is through the renewed covenant and the renewed covenant was made only with the house of Israel and the house of Judah in Jeremiah 31 31 it says behold the days come says the Lord that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah this is repeated in Hebrews chapter 8 verse 8 for finding fault with them he says behold the days come says the Lord when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah so if you are in the new covenant you have to be in, in the covenant that was made with the house of Israel and the house of Judah how do you become a part of the new covenant you get grafted in so you get grafted into that covenant you're grafted into that olive tree that covenant was made with the house of Israel and the house of Judah so you become a part of the commonwealth of Israel and you were a part of this family of the house of Israel and the house of Judah if you were not native born you are then a stranger in a whosoever that is a partaker of this covenant and we know that this covenant is offered to every person on the earth all the whosoever's have this covenant available to them if they will accept Yeshua as the Messiah for the forgiveness of their sins therefore the redeemed olive tree of Romans 11 consists of the redeemed house of Israel and the redeemed house of Judah we have in the earth today a literal house of Jacob and a redeemed house of Jacob Messiah entered into marriage with the literal house of Jacob at Mount Sinai they were unfaithful became an adulterous wife and according to the letter of the Torah by breaking the covenant by being adulterous they deserved death but Messiah is going to show his love for his adulterous wife that rather than sentencing her to death which he has a legal right to do he's going to extend mercy to her and he's going to die to forgive her of her sins and to offer her redemption and to be his bride once again Messiah then is married to the nation of Israel in the book in the garden of Torah by Rebbe Schneerson on page 163 and 164 he explains that at Mount Sinai that there's a relationship of marriage between the God of Israel and his people rather than using the term the house of Jacob Rebbe Schneerson uses the term Jewish people but we need to really understand it as the house of Jacob he writes one of the analogies used to describe the relationship between God and he says the Jewish people is the love between a man and a woman the love between we understand the house of Jacob and the God of Israel is a complex dynamic union well that's going to conclude part one of the series on the subject the feast of Shavuot the marriage of Yeshua to the house of Jacob Shalom in Yeshua the Messiah Amen
Thank you, Eddie. This is Stephen Morgan, and all of us here at Hebraic Heritage Ministries pray that you have enjoyed today's teaching. If you've been blessed, will you help us to share this message with others? Hebraic Heritage Ministries is supported by your generous financial gifts. In order to help you in your studies and to help us share this message with others, we are offering today the DVD, Yeshua the Lawgiver, for free for a love gift of any amount to the ministry. Hebraic Heritage Ministries also offers a monthly discipleship program. If you are interested in starting a fellowship group in your area, let us know. We would like to help you. Please contact us for more details. Our website is hebroots.org. That's H-E-B-R-O-O-T-S dot O-R-G. We would like to hear from you. Please send us an email. Finally, in order to take advantage of today's free offer, please mention this product offer and... Please mail your love gift to Hebraic Heritage Ministries, P.O. Box 81, Strasburg, that's S-T-R-A-S-B-U-R-G, Ohio, 44680. Until next time, may Yeshua richly bless you.